0: Welcome to the Pitching Command Show, brought to you by Command Tracker, the smart target that MLB and D1 teams rely upon to measure and train command. Many throw hard, but few command. Five, two, Visit commandtracker.com. Hey, joining today's podcast is the great Sam Brand, the New York Yankees Director of Pitching. Welcome, Sam. I'm thrilled to have you on the show.
1: Glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, awesome. Thanks again. On this show, we talk about control, command, sequencing and the qualities that make for a good pitcher aside from max velocity. For example, uh, too often people confuse command and control. And this show is one of the first things we try to do is to help people understand that, uh, in baseball slang, there's like a, when I say command, someone else might say locating or someone might say executing someone might say uh quality strikes they need to know those are all words from command uh how would you describe control and how would you describe command
1: yeah i think the best way is it's more about specificity of the task you're trying to accomplish right control is usually just about getting it down the hallway can i keep it around the zone can i keep the pitches competitive where command is the actual execution can I drive the pitch to the locations I want to? Am I doing more than just throwing strikes, but actually putting the ball into positive locations for me?
0: Yeah, I like how you put that because a lot of people didn't say it that way where I always say it's a uh, command is putting the pitch in the location you want in or out of the zone.
1: You yeah, know, that's a like- big thing because there, there is command outside of the zone as well, for sure.
0: Yeah, because if a guy's you know, crowding the plate, you have to go inside to keep him away. Or if he's, if he's hunting your slider away, you have to be able to go in, you know.
1: Two strike executions too. Like there's positive and negative locations that you can go to. So yeah, I I think command is a much, much greater target, much more difficult to define overall.
0: Yeah. You know, I've seen a lot of guys that uh, throw really hard. They get one or two strikes. And they can't put a guy away. And I think a lot of that is because they either don't have a good breaking pitch or they don't have command.
1: It's an interesting concept, right? Because you can, you're showing that secondary pitches are much easier to develop now than they've probably ever been. Velocity is easier to develop. Now, granted, velocity well, is the floor. Well, uh, for
0: you guys, For you guys, I've seen you guys work. You go, you guys are amazing. I
1: appreciate it. I think there's, we obviously have areas that we can improve on, but you're you're starting to see these problems are much simpler to solve they're not now they're not easy to solve by any means, but they're simpler right There's less things that go into them where command command is actually the difficult problem to solve because there's so many variables that are affecting it. It's not just okay, I like delivery because it's the biomechanics question, right? How does this athlete individually move? Are there anatomical factors that control how they move? If you understand them, then you understand how they're currently moving and how how strong they are, how well they develop force power, rate of force development. Like Those are all fairly simple things. And then you just have to optimize what they can do based on that individual to develop velocity, right? Pitch shapes are in a similar, how is the hand imparting spin on the ball what do we need to do? What is the optimal result? We have a bunch of better ideas now, but command is still the tough one because there's so many variables that impact it.
0: Well, I think also it's not really a good way to measure command in training uh, until my, my target. So if you couldn't measure it, how can you improve it? You know, you know, so that's part of the, way. I mean, yeah. Uh, the target I made, uh, I had written an article in 2019 for baseball Prospectus with the, uh, Sean O'Rourke, uh, Jeff Long, and Harry Pavlidis. Uh, it was called the Robo Strike Zone. It's not as simple as you think. And uh, that got a, a 2019 Sabre Award, too. Yeah. Uh, and we wrote about the inherent problems in a RoboZone that was being talked about. And, and I found uh, they started using that in AAA in the challenge system. They did. Uh, what have you thought of that? I The challenge system,
1: first and foremost, that's the easy one awesome
0: yeah i know there's a, a certain picture that you and i know that actually got the first challenge and won in triple a yeah.
1: right there is indeed there is indeed but i mean it like that is really exciting um uh, they put it up on the scoreboard you see the ball coming in you can yeah. almost feel the stadiums especially when you get like a pretty good crowd they're standing there and they're just holding breath and then boom, the challenge result comes in. I would like to see the challenge go to the major league level. Uh, It's also provided good feedback for the umpires, I think, because you've seen zones change. Now the auto zone itself, I love it in the minor leagues. I think it should be structured from the minor leagues down because the major league level, you're trying to impact that game. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And with that, you want, you want a competitive balance between hitters and pitchers right now pitchers are clearly outpacing hitters in terms of stuff, uh, velocity, and then even just like generally getting to some areas that they want to throw the baseball to. So hitters are struggling. You've seen averages and things down over the past few years. Um, So there needs to be a controlled playing field to make the game exciting. Now, what that looks like, I think, I think there's conversation to be had over what the zone I thought at points this year, they took probably too much of the top of the zone away and then the negative of what you worry about with the auto zone comes in where swing rates went way down. Hitters were much more passive because the game was such a narrow field uh, that they didn't have to swing. And they were just waiting for that one ball to come to them, or they were waiting kind of on a walk. So I, I think there is some still, and MLB has been doing it. They've adjusted the zone several times this year. They added some more back to the top rail recently recently. They've started doing shifting zones, which is an interesting concept that I like, but also difficult because you're already taking an arbitrary space well, that well, you have well to go through and now you're moving that arbitrary undefined space um I know, but see that's what
0: that's why, that's why uh, you know I wrote that article too was that uh i I wanted the fairness like a like when I wrote the other article about the universal strike zone, yeah. Uh, that part of the problem with uh, what they were talking about for RoboZone, which is kind of evolving into, which I don't like, is that uh, it, I said it would go from ar- from people arguing uh, that the umpire made a bad call to saying, well, in version 2.0 of the RoboZone, that would have been a strike. In version 1.9, that wasn't a strike. So uh, when they have started playing around with the RoboZone, I don't think that's right. They ought to stick with what the rule book zone is and not be adding or subtracting because then we all know what we're uh what our zone is going to be and it's a level playing field you know
1: yeah i mean the, the rule book zone is is wild because technically what it's letters like letters to hollow of the knee um which hitters like if you if i was a pitcher and i had all this space here above the waist, well, it's
0: it's, it's pretty it's pretty well defined you know uh, it's just that people aren't following it. That's why I wrote that that article called the Universal Strike Zone. And yeah. what I did was I looked at uh, there was Army data on thousands of men that they measured from where their the shoulder is, where their where their hip is, uh, yep. everything, their knees, everything. And I came up with what is the typical six foot two batter, and yeah. I came up with a universal zone, and that's what I made that command tracker target using that zone. So that when people are training to that target, they're training pretty much to a zone they're going to see in the game. Yeah. And I figure if you're training to a zone you're going to play in a game with, you're going to have better success with a robo zone in the game.
1: I I would agree. Um, It is interesting because that's how Major League Baseball currently, they're using Hawkeye to define each zone for each individual hitter when a hitter comes up that they don't have Hawkeye data for on their swing stance, they're using the universal zone still for that hitter, which is what we used early in the year. But then you do get, you do get some discrepancies there. I do think it's a great way to train because it starts defining those things. And that's the, that's the key thing that you have to do first is you have to define what that arbitrary space is for the pitcher. Cause a lot of times guys will throw and you hear it all the time in bullpens or, like it's one of the reasons that catchers become difficult at points because catchers are good at their jobs. They're good at framing the pitches. Sometimes they fool umpires on strikes or balls that are strikes. Uh, they also fool the pitchers, right? You looked at it and most pitchers are like, man, I throw more strikes to a catcher. That's not necessarily true. Uh, the catcher just makes you feel better about it because they're taking those Absolutely. borderline pitches and making them look like strikes when right. they're not actually.
0: Yeah, the, uh, there's another pitcher that you and I know that uh, hated throwing to the early version of the target, all right? and But I would always tell him, listen, when you throw to a catcher and he moves the mid and he's going like this, he's catching, You think and you hear that pop, you think you're doing a great bullpen, but meanwhile, you're missing your spots by
1: 10, 12 inches all over the place. Uh, for sure. I mean, it, it's one of the hardest things with players is there's a – there's a massive constraint with vision, uh, especially when you're throwing a ball this fast and things are moving that quickly and you think you're executing your spots and you actually end up drilling locations over and over or at least general areas because most people have a a decent miss window. I think Major League Average, I think Fangraphs had an article on it as like 10 inches on a fastball is an average miss. Um, but they see that over and over, they think they're doing good things and then they end up practicing things that, hitters will take at higher levels and all of a sudden boom they are end up walking people more than they should or they're they're falling behind in counts and giving up damage because they're not actually executing and then they're being forced towards the the sweet spot of the plate
0: well yeah like a sinker balling missing 10 inches up that's going to yeah. be launched into orbit you know yeah what i'm seeing lately is that um with everyone throwing hard nowadays, it seems to me that command is now the separator. It used to be velocity, but velocity is not so rare anymore. And velocity with command is rare. Uh, high yeah. velocity and marginal control is common. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, velocity is obviously the floor, but I think a lot of things have been structured wrong for a long time in how these players have chased velocity, Right. Because you, and, you and they have, haven't you changed yeah they haven't chased command at all you know yeah which is an interesting thing to think about um so velocity becomes the floor right you have to have that to pitch to the major league level you continue to see yeah. major league velocity go up uh so you know it's important you want to minimize the amount of time hitters have to make decisions but also like command is a significant separator you watch guys go out there and have success now granted they have outstanding stuff. Again, we're not getting rid of velocity and stuff. You have to have those two things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, but command does well, become we- a separator when you can put the ball where you want to. And if you can do that at 97, like Garrett Cole does, man, you become something really special.
0: Yeah. He's uh, he's
1: awesome. Amazing. Like he's and he's one of the most got, uh, deliberate practicers I've ever seen. Like the way and also, he I, also day.
0: I've heard from someone else. I know too. Uh, we both know, uh, He's a really nice guy. Like you would think he would be all up in himself that I'm the great pitcher, but he's actually a very nice,
1: welcoming guy too. He is, he is an amazing teammate. Like that guy wants nothing but the best for everybody on the team. He wants nothing but the team to win. He's outstanding, but he's Mm -hmm. a great, he does a phenomenal job at deliberate practice and making sure that all of these things that he's going for are happening when his work is. And a lot of times the issue with like younger kids is they just chase velocity. I think you end up, if you look at skill acquisition and things, you end up optimizing for the, the result that you end up chasing, right? Like whatever feedback you are constantly getting in a training session that like you, you will solve most of the time you will, your body will organize into a solution for that problem. Now, yeah. if you're just chasing velocity by itself, you end up self-organizing into a guy who can throw hard, who struggles with throwing strikes if you just train chase command you end up organizing into the soft tossing guy who can put the ball wherever he wants the the what people think kyle Hendricks is and all of these things there is the third route where mm -hmm. like you chase velocity with command at the same time and you optimize to do both
0: yeah because i I think too often you have pictures uh they're leveling up only on velocity like 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 a video game but uh, if they were playing a video game and they were leveling up only on a shield or a weapon, they know they can't win the game. So yep. I think maybe if they thought of it that way, that, hey, we have to level up on command, velocity, stuff, our mental game. There's so many aspects of make what makes a pitcher good that you have to raise them all.
1: Well, it's interesting you say that because there's a lot that goes into learning and video games are actually – they're actually really good at creating some skills that will transfer to everyday life um and it goes into how video games are structured right there's a sweet spot there's a balanced challenge level where every level is designed not to be too easy because then you don't play but not to be too hard because then you quit playing because you're frustrated so there's this goldilocks zone on the level of challenge that's given to you in that game and then they're supplying you with opportunities and feedback for accomplishing that skill Practice should fall into something similar to that, right? Because we want to find ways to drive those skills, to drive people changing behaviors. Um, and the big issue is that there's just not enough feedback. Like Again, the zone is arbitrary. Players are adjusting their thoughts on what they did well or what they didn't based off what they see the catcher doing, like we've talked about Um and it like having a more defined feedback piece there, and then having more rules, more structure to those games inside. Well, it's it's, can
0: help it's that. funny that that leads in perfectly with what I have on the target. Uh, we put in a multi game, uh, multiplayer mode. And when players use that, they start competing with each other who's got the highest score. And they actually are, again, they have a defined goal, hit this spot in the target, and they can change the, where they. Uh, or throwing to, Uh, for example, Casey Mulholland was talking about his players. What he did is he let them pick the zones they wanted and they would compete. So they would get a score. So the guys that had a good slider would pick their zone. The guys that had a good, you know, sinker, they picked their zone and they would get a score for command. But he also was at another motive. What he was doing was also, he was learning what his players' weaknesses were, because if his if his players chose in the uh, competition, they picked a certain pitch in a per- certain zone, uh, then he knew they're weak in another spot. So need uh, now needs to, to train them to throw. He would ask them, well, "Why did you pick inside?" And they might say, "Well, I don't feel comfortable throwing there in competition." And as a coach, you say, "Ah, we need to work on what we're weak." not what our st- what we're strong you know
1: for sure right most people deviate to that uh, it's why most people don't like to train command it's the hardest thing you have to do again it's multi a factorial and what the problem might be you see guys who never miss arm side when they're facing a right hander in their right-handed pitcher and as soon as a lefty gets in a box everything is shifted over two zones to the right yeah, that's all in the head then There's visual constraints here. There's the concern of hitting a guy. There's all of these things that are factoring in where again, like it's not easy, but velocity training and pitch shape training is much more simple to go after where these things require a lot more work. They require a lot more deliberate practice. They require different learning strategies like Casey's there is great. You need to find out what's difficult and you need to create optimal challenges for the player around that in order to solve those problems.
0: Yeah, and I think when you're doing practice, uh, just like there's a leg day and upper upper body day, I think there ought to be days for velo training, uh, for shapes, uh, other days for command. And then uh, what I would also do with someone you know, uh, we would have days where you would have to mix your pitches to use the command in sequences, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, there there's a lot of interesting stuff. I know hitters have been looked at for that for a long time. I think Rob Gray has put it out in one of his books. I think it was his first one. He talked about hitter practice and randomization versus variability inside practice. Again, you're looking to create games. Yeah, I, think, I think, yeah,
0: I think Tom Hackemer was talking about that book the other day on the show.
1: Yeah. Really good read. It's really kind of a basic introduction, but I think it's awesome for exploring a lot of skill acquisition stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it does, it talks about variability and randomness and how impactful those can be. Uh, and then when it comes down to structuring practice, like understanding what your player needs and then going from there that's the hard thing, and then providing feedback. But a lot of times it comes down to learning too, right? Um, you can go ahead and tell a player to do something like, Hey, I want you, you're going to throw 70% fastballs in this game. And we're going to work on these two locations. If it's two strike, you're going up and in, down and away. And the player might go ahead and go through the motions and do all of that. But it's become autonomous. Like if I ask you, Wayne, you've been driving for a handful of years now. When was the last time you got better at driving a car? Mm-hmm. Like, when do you, have you gotten better? I couldn't, better I couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell I mean, you. I, well,
0: I drive, a, I, I drive a Hummer. And a lot yeah. of times I have to drive into Brooklyn and we have a garage there. And what a nightmare being able to back into that. So I think I'm pretty good having done that a lot.
1: (laughs) So I'm similar. That's interesting because I don't think driving is a learned skill. We were taught how to drive. There's various things that you have to do. Keep it between the lines, yada, yada. Um, I don't think I've gotten better at driving, except when I lived out in Seattle. When I lived in Seattle and I went into the city, I had to learn how to parallel park.
0: You're you're challenged.
1: I'm challenged right but otherwise things become autonomous like the problem a lot of times I think is like everything is so autonomous when it comes to playing catch when it comes to throwing a bullpen they work on pitch shapes and things like that because that's new that's different it provides there's layers of feedback to challenge what they are currently doing Um, but you need to make practice less autonomous because they just need the emotions and they don't learn right it
0: needs to be challenged like for example uh Pitchers I've worked with too, every time they threw, it was always to a target. Now, if we're playing catch between the chest and the belt, all right, it has to be there. Uh, we'd throw against a, a a wall that I made out of four by fours to a target. It would bounce different ways. They have to field it. And after they field it, it'd have to throw it to first. So everything was always if you're throwing, throwing to a target whether it's a glove or whatever it is. And I think that gets ingrained in their mind that I'm got to hit my spot with every throw.
1: Yeah. And then that creates, but that in itself, um, then will create an autonomy. Right. And then it becomes hard at the lower levels. It's fine because your catcher never moves, right? He sets up, he gives you a target. Boom. You have a clear visual for what you're going after And then when you get to the higher levels, all of a sudden teams are trying to steal signs. You set up, you give a high target for a fastball, and now the team's tipping it from the other dugout. And you're like, okay, we can't do that. We have to start deking signs. So I'm going to set up low and away here or wherever. And then you need to know to go up to an arbitrary spot. Yeah. Yeah. And so building those challenge things in becomes really impactful for development.
0: Well, yeah, like with our target, when I was talking about the competition, uh, you don't normally get that in – like a, just a bullpen. It's not that it's when you're competing against another pitcher uh, in a bullpen, you're kind of up in the stakes. It's and the competition, the guys like that, they, they want to compete. That's, that's the fun of the game, right? It's competing. For and, sure. and if you, if you introduce that in training, uh, you get that mental focus and attention that is, we talked about, it's really needed to, to, you know, refine your skills.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you can actually, I mean, there's always stair-stepping levels to it, right? But you have to have some sort of element of competition because you want to get, you want to get a physiological response, like what you're going to have in the game. That's always the hardest part of practice and getting things to translate to a game is it's so different from the actual competitive environment. You look at heart rates and things like that and how high they can get when kids are pitching in game. And then you look at them in a bullpen and they're just like cool as a cucumber kind of deal. Um, and yeah, so, so introducing I'm, competition really is a game changer.
0: Yeah, because I, I think there's a, a time for working just on throwing it air in and out. You want to try to throw as hard as you can and kind of find new ways to to move that will be more efficient. I think there are other days where you're going to throw and try to get your pitch to break a certain way so it will, it will pair with your other pitches. So I'm just saying, is I think there are different ways parts of that development that need to be addressed and i don't think teams really have used a uh, command as part of their training specifically like with the target that, that i make you know
1: yeah that's probably true i mean that's the hardest thing to provide feedback for you can definitely get closer now with track man and things like that uh it gives you kind of zone locations but again it yeah it does it doesn't give levels of understanding yeah, it... where that zone actually is yeah the
0: problem with that is that the pitcher has to have in his mind, this imaginary space, a uh, place in space uh, that trackman is measuring. He doesn't have the visual of where you wanted to throw it. It's, it's yep. different, you know? So the a target tells him, I want you to throw it right here. And then you measure, did he throw it right there? And yep. if he didn't throw it there, well, where did it go? And now you can, as a coach, if you know, he missed arm side, all all his sliders. Well, you know there's some kind of correction you're going to make right
1: yep 100 percent.
0: the problem with uh you know again i think in developing command is really simple is that uh it's not actually practiced enough you know
1: yeah the practice thing is interesting because most people are are generally throwing you're not throwing to spray balls around the backstop um you are throwing to try and go to a location. I think it comes down to the feedback. And I think it comes down to the thing we've talked about, the autonomous piece of it all, where you've done it for so long. You've generally, you're kind of almost going through the motions without going through the motions. Now there are people that you see that are built differently, intrinsically. They know this is what they're going after. Um, I think Garrett is one of those people, which is why you see him throw so hard and also command the ball so well. Uh, but that's not not a normal internal state for most people.
0: Well, he he probably has a very good way of practicing and he's very disciplined. You know, like Tom Hackemer was saying, he knows of some guys that he wake out of bed and say, hit the mitt and they would hit it. And, And he described it as maybe some of those guys had an innate ability, but I was saying, I don't think so. I think those guys learn that skill and they've honed it. So that if you wake them out of bed, they can hit the mitt. But I think if
1: they'd ever trained to hit the mitt, they wouldn't hit the mitt. I think there are, there's interesting things. There's probably, again, this is why I say command is such a harder problem to solve, is we've talked about some of the mental side. Oh, I don't want to hit a guy. I don't want to miss. I don't want to do this. I don't want to give up damage. That's a well, big on one. The, on the other side, when
0: you have a focus, I'm going to hit that target now. I'm hitting, I think, that positive focus is really important. Agreed.
1: Uh, I, there's so much information about the mindset, but then you run into the human nature piece and you look at what the problem actually is and there's people who don't want to give up damage. So like I don't want to throw to the big part of the zone because I really don't want to give up a double. Um so they narrow down, they shrink the window of success which creates problems. Obviously a mechanical piece that can play a role in throwing strikes here especially if you've optimized just to throw hard like, if I want to generate as much force as possible, like I can ram my lead leg into the ground, I can rip my trunk out of the way, like I can do all of these things to up force production. And that might make like the timing of release and the position of release, it increases variability. Like you talk about staying on path towards the direction we're going to throw a lot, like the driveline phase of throwing kind of deal, like that creates much more bounces in and out of that, which theoretically can reduce command. So delivery plays a role. Um, There's all of these other factors, proprioception, which I don't even know how you would begin to quantify. Solving that would be great. If you're more hypermobile, like Tom is a great example because he's one of the most hypermobile athletes I've ever worked with. Gets into wild positions, right? His body is hunting tension at end ranges a lot of the time. When you have that guy, it's much harder to have good proprioception versus like sometimes the stiff guys can be good. But then if you're too stiff, that's probably a problem as well. So there's all these physiological problems, anatomical problems that can impact command. Um, And then you get into like even further stuff outside of the mental components that we've talked about now. Uh, And then just the simple fact of like, have you actually even trained it? Um, Which again, this this is why command's a fun problem.
0: Yeah, well, I think also in uh, from double A up or and especially in the major leagues, uh, hitters, you know, as another friend of mine put it, uh, they can hit a bullet. I mean, the hitters have, can hit high velocity without a problem. In other words, uh, major league hitters can uh, time a bullet. So they're throwing really hard. And really, the difference maker is really command. So if you got a guy rearing back and throwing 98, it doesn't matter much if he's just spraying in his zone because uh, it's going out of the park, you know?
1: Yeah. Uh, there's some factors in there, including stuff and things like that. And I think you get away with more. If you throw harder with better breaking shapes, like you probably get away with more and that's that trade off. Now the perfect world, like, everybody should be an all-star, right? That's that's the goal for everyone, be an all-star in the big leagues. The reality is, is you're probably not going to get there. There's so few of those players, but you want to train that way. You want to train to become that guy. And if you can do all three of those things really well, then you clearly have more success. Yeah, when
0: we talked about the video game analogy, Jared Cole would be uh, the velo command, stuff. He'd have all those levels up. Yeah. And what I'm seeing a lot of guys is they, the below's up here, the commands here, the stuff is kind of a little bit, they haven't thought of all these other areas that make a Jared Cole. Well, great.
1: You know? Yeah. And the thing is, is like human nature, we always kind of want to revert to what's easiest. Like again, the velocity and the stuff are easier to train. They're more fun to train. Like, you have to go after the hard things. You have to be able to go out and do hard things and be uncomfortable in your training if you wanna have success.
0: What role do repeatable mechanics play in command? My thought uh, is that to reduce the variations in the first place and the pitcher will have less variations to deal with. And uh, I, I fall back on, for example, I've been an audio engineer for, I don't know, 30 years. Uh, I designed everything from amps to pro studio mixers, like for some well-known companies. And I've always found the easiest way to get rid of noise uh, in the output of the system, reduce it from getting into the system. So uh, my thought is that if mechanics were were more uh, sound and your head still, uh, you're more likely to have better command. What do you think?
1: Well, I hate the term repeatable mechanics to begin with, uh, right because I think that's part of the problem. That's part of the problem with command. It's part of the problem with training in general. and it's part of the problem with our outlook on how we approach a lot of these things, right? So if I mm-hmm. ask you just we've got a we've got a building constructed here out of Legos. It's got two columns, and there's a roof on it. One of the columns is slightly lower than the other one. So the roof is slanted, and I tell you, hey, I want you to make that roof even. How do I get that roof even? Most of us, if we've got the Lego set in front of us, they would add a block, right? We would make that structure more complex. So we are Mm -hmm. going to go ahead, raise those two columns up and make the roof even you could also just take a block away, but that usually doesn't enter people's mind. Like usually if we're looking at things, we're always trying to solve by adding, okay, what more do I need to put into this system? What more do I need to add to you? What more do I need to do? And so players, like they're always kind of trying to add, 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 add. Um, It's the way we've been wired to think, whether it's the way we've been educated in school and things like that, I'm not quite entirely sure, but it becomes a problem. Because I think a lot of the time, the best way, to do things is subtract from them to simplify kinda, it. yeah yeah right like that's the goal is to simplify and make this process easier you kind of touched on it repeatable mechanics that word alone puts yeah, well, it's a,
0: it's a variation
1: you're always going to have a variation that when i talked about
0: the when i talked about a noise level and what i'm saying is that you're always going to have a variation but if you can reduce the amount of variation I think you have a better chance. That's well, that's, one of my
1: that's the goal, right? Is because you look at repeatable, repeatable says, man, if I want to throw it down in a way, there's one delivery that I need to constantly do over and over one feeling that I need to have that will give me success. I don't want one solution to a problem. I want mul- multiple solutions to the same problem, but I need to have that bandwidth that allows me to have success. There's some skill yeah. acquisition research. I don't remember if it was in Rob Gray or somebody else. They showed a blacksmith hammering a nail and they showed all of the patterns that allowed him to have success of the swing of his hand. None of them were the same. Then you you look at other people doing it, amateurs doing it. They had an even wider set of patterns and there were much more miss hits. So you're trying to find going back to the video game. You're trying to find Goldilocks zones where you can train in that allow you to not add things to practice, but subtract. How do I get yeah. rid of patterns? How do I reduce the bad patterns? So when you go into practice and your goal is just to generate a result, that be- that becomes a problem because now you have one fixed focus on something. And like you need that general idea of what you want to accomplish because that's your feedback but that's not the process piece. It's not, I'm going to go throw 60% fastballs for strikes today. Um, That might be my arbitrary goal that I'm going after. But in that process, I'm really focusing on eliminating the bad reps. And then my goal becomes, okay, what am I learning today? How am I reflecting on that process? I go in, I set a goal for each pitch, and then I walk through this process of how I'm going to change this. How am I going to subtract? How am I going to reflect on what I'm doing? And from that, then you begin to learn. And so that's where you start making adjustments. That's where you really start developing. You watch kids go out there. They throw a 30-pitch bullpen in 10 minutes. So that means every 20 seconds, they're throwing a pitch. What are you actually learning? What are you actually reflecting on? Like Again, we talk about autonomy. You're just going through this because you've always done it. Like There is no window in that time span for you to actually, okay, all right, what do I need to accomplish before I throw this pitch? I threw the pitch. What is my feedback? All right. I'm reflecting on that feedback. What do I think happened here? Now, what am I going to process and do for the next Like that, that whole thing just for me to talk out the steps and not even think through what's actually happening took me more than yeah. 20 seconds.
0: Yeah. That's more, that's very important to do. You know? Yeah. Uh, I described earlier when we were talking about someone, you and I know that uh, throwing a bullpen and, uh, just kind of wanting to get out of there and get it done. And I threw my hands up there and I said, you're wasting my time and I walked away. And then as I'm walking away, then I hear whoosh, boom, whoosh, boom. Then, then I hear the intensity. It's like, that's the intensity and focus I needed to begin with.
1: Yeah. You know? And it, it becomes, you changed the rules to the game. When you did that, you made practice more deliberate because now all of a sudden there was a cost associated with it. And I yeah. like, I'm not a big fan of punishment. I'm not a big fan of negative reinforcement in those things. I think there's much more positive ways to accomplish some of these tasks. Sometimes you need them, but like you just changed the rules of the game and you made practice more deliberate for him. And so all of a sudden you see that intensity, that focus, that detail coming to work. And he's actually thinking about, all right, how do I go on ahead and accomplish this task?
0: Yeah. So that's the other part I want to just get to is that, that mental focus and intensity, uh, uh, is I think it's huge. So, like, what role do uh, mental toughness and focus and confidence play? Like, I know everyone uh, loves Dorfman. Uh, Gil Patterson uh, of the A's, who was talking about uh, how he was in that minor leagues, uh, guys were uh, reading chapters of Dorfman every day, and he talked about how Dorfman helped uh, change the course of Maddox and Halliday. Uh, How do you think mental training influences control and command?
1: Have you had the opportunity to watch a game in Yankee Stadium? Uh, Not in there, actually. You know, I have a
0: few friends uh, that Major League, you know, anyway, uh, have offered me tickets, but it's like I'm always too busy to go.
1: Man, like even if you've watched on TV, like oh, I've seen on
0: TV. Yeah, Aaron Judge
1: course. Aaron Judge was the best player on the planet last year like
0: unquestionably well the other day three home runs come on i mean the awesome. guy's
1: phenomenal the guy's phenomenal and the way he goes about his work and his professional and, and
0: again i've heard also a really nice guy too to his teammates which is Outstanding I think, really human.
1: one of one of the best humans you can possibly ever meet yeah. but like i think he punched out with like a runner on second in the playoffs or something last year i can't remember the entire situation he got booed. He had 62 homers and got booed yeah. in Yankee Stadium. Like, the mental toughness component, like, he's got it. Because uh, he can come out and continue to compete. But the mental toughness component is unquestionably a yeah. must-have piece to well, actually have success gl- at the Major League, League I'm glad
0: you said that because Gil was talking about he was the uh, pitching coach when Rory Holiday, uh, he was had the highest ERA – of any pitcher over 100 innings. And he said it was was getting in his head. And so he'd come back to the dugout after giving up a run. And Gil said the teammates, like giving him an attitude. And he said it was like, it was horrible. And so that was affecting uh, Roy's performance. So that's why when he went down to the minor leagues, uh, he worked with Dorfman, he changed his arm slot. And when he came back, he became the Hall of Fame pitcher that we know you know, so I think, you know, that, that mental confidence is huge.
1: Yeah. I don't know how, I don't know how you can make it in this game if you don't have it, Uh, but I I think it, it can also be learned. Like I think creating the right practice situations, doing the right things for players, like you can build that confidence up. You can instill that in people as they learn who they are as a player, what makes them successful how they have success, and then building routines for those things. Those are all really important for confidence. I think you lose confidence a lot of the time when you don't have those foundational pieces for you and you don't know who you are. So then you're always constantly tinkering, changing. You go with the tide. You start. I like how you said
0: that too. Uh, There's another picture you and I know that I I always tell before a game, a good luck, be you, command and mix. And be you yep. is really important to me. Like you're, you're not Chapin, you're not Maddox. Be you.
1: Have to. That you know? most people are always trying to imitate somebody in this game. It's it's a good skill to have up to a point, but then eventually, like you have to find out what makes you unique and special, and you have to yeah. own those qualities.
0: Right, and you have to find out what you're good at, and then become great at it.
1: Yep. You know. You know. And th- those those things are what end up. Like if you can do those things well and then raise the floor on the things you're weak at, like that's where you can really reach a ceiling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to touch a little bit on sequencing with you. Like in football, they have playbooks, uh, in martial arts, they have patterns in boxing. They have combinations and I think there should be like what I would call pitching gambits for pitchers. Now in terms of pitching gambits, uh, if we were to take, say, a two-pitch uh, pitching gamut, what are some of your favorites? Like, like mine would be funneling a sinker and a cutter to the same lane or funneling a, a slider to cutter to keep a guy off his slider or a right-handed pitcher up and in above the hands to a lefty followed by a sinker back in the black.
1: I always struggle with this a little bit because, um, again, like this might even be – more difficult than command is actually quantifying game planning like you know there it's using
0: it's yeah it's using command like once you have command and you have all these pitches well now how do you organize them to the most effectiveness you know
1: yeah but like an average miss on a heater is 10 inches so like it becomes a real struggle for me i you know there is something there like setting and you could feel it like having pitched like, there were times where I knew that guy standing 60 feet, six inches away was screwed if I just threw this pitch. Or I'd thrown so much, like, I had mixed up, down, in whatever. And then I knew I could basically do whatever I wanted as long as I, like, generally executed my pitch. Um, now, I was a fastball curveball guy pretty much my entire career. So, like, a heater. Yeah. You would, up, yeah. So you would tunnel that
0: fast, fastball high, follow up our curveball low, right?
1: Yeah. Like I loved that or even flipping two breaking balls early and then elevating a heater and getting a swing and miss like those sequences were fun. Um, But at the same time, I think about this a lot like chess. And now chess is different because the game's largely been solved. Um, But it's interesting. There is something interesting with chess and the game of baseball that makes this a bit more difficult. Um, When you look at chess If a human plays a supercomputer, they lose. Like a a grandmaster chess player will lose to the best supercomputer 100 out of 100 times. It's not even close because the computer is really good at tactics. They can see the next move on the board better than the human can, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Now, if you pair a lesser supercomputer with a human versus that, that like optimal supercomputer, the lesser supercomputer and the human will beat The supercomputer by itself and that's because when humans look at it we can picture those multiple steps ahead right so you're you're doing more strategy and the supercomputer is helping the the human with the tactic element like that's where when you look at what is your best pitch that's the tactic okay my slider is my best pitch my fastball is my best pitch i want to use that most but then you look at the strategy and you have two games of strategy going on. What is this hitter's approach? How do I read this hitter? What is he actually trying to do? Can I pick up on those subtle things? We know hitters pick up on subtle kinematic cues from pitchers, what like shoulder tilt, things like that. We know they're subconsciously making adjustments to where they yeah, think and, the ball is going to be and what the right. Pitch and this is, yeah, the situation on the field also, right? So that, yeah, you can figure out what they're trying to do. That's the hard part for me. I struggle with like, oh, you have to tunnel this and do this and do that. When really it's, there is a game of chess happening between the pitcher and the hitter. That's one of the reasons that like shrinking the auto zone too much. I don't love while it may create more offense. You lose sometimes. I think that art of pitching where it, there's that competition and you have a little more leeway to expand and do things and get hitters to chase and force them to swing and well, not be passive.
0: Well, I, I, kind of think of it a little, a little different. I'm thinking is uh, like, I always want to change speeds. I want to change angles, the vertical and, and horizontal angles. Uh, I want to go up and down. I want to go left to right diagonal. I want to kind of create a lot of variations for the batter at the same time. I want to try to hide those by funneling or going to certain areas with different pitches that move differently. So those are the kind of common, those would be the two pitch uh, gamuts that I'm kind of talking about. So it really doesn't have a lot to do with what's on the field. It does. Uh, but it's more about how
1: can I more effectively use the pitches I have together? Yeah. I mean, there again, it becomes a really tough problem because you watch, you watch some guys like you know they're cheating slider, you can feel it, and you can pump three straight heaters by a guy. Um it's a really interesting thing. It's a really difficult to quantify. Obviously, like pairing a two-seam with a slider, four seam curveball, like those things are fun. Uh, but there's so much that goes into it. I, I really struggle with like a two-pitch sequence here that you have to throw. Um just because you never you never really know. I don't know. You make things more absolute and you lose room for creativity and that art of reading a hitter and designing a plan off. That.
0: Well, well, let's take an example like uh, uh, having those gambits in your arsenal before you get on the mound. Let's suppose I'm throwing a slider away to a uh, righty and I see that he's hunting my slider. All right. Well, there's a couple things I can do. I could come back in with a sinker. Now, if he's leaning over the plate, I risk hitting him. Uh I could also take my slider and start going off the plate a bit, but then I risk walking that I give him up balls if he takes. Or I could start doing cutter slider, cutter slider. So, like what I'm getting at is like having these kind of tools in your tool chests before you get on the mound to, to say, in these situations, these are kind of combinations I might use.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think that's general practice if you're doing some of these things well, right? Where like you go in, I know my, like, if I'm a right-hander and I'm two-seam cutter, slider, change-up. Uh, I know my cutter, like, I might want to throw my cutter down and away. I want my slider down and away. I want my sinker to be inside. And then I want my change-up on the outer half as well. Like, you can start playing with those. And I, I do think there are times, like, now we're talking about command again. It's really what we're boiling down to is. Well, it's using command. guy leaning. Can I, okay, I think he's sitting on slider for sure. Um, I've thrown him a slider. He's chased it. He's fouled it off down the line. I can tell he's leaning over the plate. So now I have the option, like, do I throw a two seam in or do I start that change up off the plate or the two seam off the plate and try and run it in back door? But really that's just a good ability to execute and then read what the hitter's trying to give you. Yeah,
0: or command, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: so- 100%. Yeah,
0: so for example, another one I really like is a right-handed pitcher to a left-handed batter. uh, Throwing the sinker on the black just above the hands. Yep. A lot of times they'll take that, and then you follow that with a cutter that goes just in the shadow zone in, and they'll swing through it. A lot of times they'll be on their knee. So, like, I'm talking about combinations that tend to work and I, I think there's more to be done in that area, you know?
1: Yeah, I I can agree. Because, again, you look at it and you're like, man, there is something there. But I don't know how to quant- quantify it because you don't know what the hitter is thinking. However, both those locations that you talked about are probably just the optimal locations for those pitches. Right. So if you want your pitches, like, even if I make a bad pitching decision, like – let's say he is hunting slider away and it's a lefty and I flip that. He knows 60% of the time. Oh, oh, I flip a backdoor slider. Um, Hitter knows that I go ahead and do that. I give him that. Oh, Oh slider. He's looking for it. He swings, but I've perfectly executed it versus I've missed it down and in on him. Like the down and in slider is probably going to give up more damage more often than not than the down and away. I might get clipped every now and then because he was looking for it, but like, the ability to execute that pitch is probably more important than the ability to choose the right pitch. Well, see, I'm thinking it's a
0: difference between uh, a lot of times pitchers are reactive. Uh, They're reacting to the situation on the field, to the batter, what they see the batter do, and I think that's important. But I think you can attack instead of being attacked and be proactive by using certain gambits that will put things in your favor rather than waiting for the batter to see what he does. You can kind of set things up, you know, it's, it's reactive or proactive. Yeah. Like, Uh, like, uh, you remember that software uh, pitch grader, uh, in, in there, there's a a thing I call the pitch sequence designer and what it does is it takes, uh, the typical pitch for each pitcher throws and it lets you assemble sequences like I was just talking about in two three or four more and it automatically adjusts the locations uh the pitch type to kind of create the maximum amount of batter disruption whether it's angles or speeds or locations yeah so it's actually quantifiable you know but even when I do that the final step when you're using that is you actually have to move to the point of view of the batter. And see what those pitches look like in sequence together. Because like yeah. without that visual, just picking pitches doesn't work, you know? So um one of the last things I wanted to ask you was uh, uh how would you describe a complete pitcher? Like like I know Jared Cole would be one, but how you know what would be your uh description of a complete pitcher?
1: Man, I I mean I think in simple terms, it is somebody who is durable, who throws strikes hard with nasty stuff. Like you want that guy, a complete pitcher I think is, is that like premier all-star starter, reliever, whatever they are, they can handle a major league workload. They go out there, they pound the zone every day and give your team a shot to win. And they do it with high V low, and great stuff to give you the best opportunity to win ball games.
0: Yeah. And like Dan DeQuet said, it was uh, the best ability
1: is availability. Absolutely. You know, like, we yeah. have that talk with our guys every single year when we go into, like, workloads and things like that. Like, your routine, your practice plan, all of that really matters because that's going to determine how often you're on the mound. And as much as, like, I love training stuff, velocity, command, all this, none of it matters if you can't throw a baseball,
0: yeah, yeah. Now um, I have a thing I do every show. I, I put a list of what the top four qualities you need for a pitcher. So I just want to know what are the top four that you think? Like your number one, your number two, uh, and I'm going to show them on the screen, and then I'll say them just so the people who are listening can know what they are. You know, uh, here's my list of uh top qualities that. You need to be a pitcher. Now, I'd like you to tell me what your top four are, like number one, number two, number three, number four. Uh, they are command, uh, character, changing speeds, movement, max velocity, sequencing, reading batters, mental toughness, and know who you are. What would be your number one, two, three, and four?
1: Man, difficult. Um yeah, I think it's you need them break, all, right? Right? So I have the four here. Uh, you're never – I'm going to go movement number one. You got to have stuff. You got to have quality pitch shapes. Um, mm-hmm. Man, command and velo then become tied because you can kind of get away in the game right now if you have great pitch shapes and you throw hard. You get it around the zone, but you might not make it um same kind of deal like if you've got great pitch shapes and you throw them for strikes but there's not enough velo you might not make it so those two become really hard for me i'll go velo's the floor we're looking to make above average major league pitchers here um you got to have velo so let's go velo command much to my chagrin will have to be third and then the character is the fourth that's really the crowning jewel on all of this it really doesn't matter like if you have those three things and you've got terrible character like in our system we're trying to become we're trying to put players up to the major league level to play on a championship team right uh if you can't impact the clubhouse positively don't really care how good you are because you create more negatives like there there are a lot of players who might not be the best player on the field but they elevate everybody around them and they are more valuable than the guy who's really talented, but makes everybody else worse around them. So character, character becomes a big separating factor when you start getting to the major league level, because if you don't have that character, if you're not on the clubhouse, if you can't handle playing in a big stadium and the ups and downs in the media and all that, you yeah. you can't play in New York. Yeah. I, I think um... There was an interview I I had heard with a
0: another minor league pitcher that I I really like, and he was describing how in college, uh, the early days, uh, he wasn't really rooting for his uh, pitcher teammates to win. He wasn't rooting against them. He wasn't rooting for them. It was kind of indifferent because they're kind of competing. Yep. Uh, then he went to another college. Uh, I won't say which college was, and what he learned there was uh, to be in all in on your teammates. That when you're pumping them up, they in turn pump you up. It's kind of like it feeds on itself, and like, and especially in the minor leagues, that it's hard for everybody. But when you're cheering for your teammates, it makes it so much better. And then they cheer for you. It's like that. Is that kind of chemistry happens that I think it's a it's a mental part of the game.
1: Oh, for sure. I coached college for five years and there was a year where our, he would probably have been our number two. um, And we didn't start him, like couldn't show up to the weight room on time. Couldn't do the things we were asking him to do in practice. Wasn't picking up teammates. And it was like, look, you're not bigger than the team. You've lost the opportunity to be a starting pitcher. Like you have to earn that back and we'll play a man down because that actually makes us better. Like sliding our three into a two, and our four into the three and then bullpenning the midweek game like that made us a better team than having him as our number two
0: yeah and it ultimately helps them like when we talked about dorfman helping uh, maddox and Halliday, uh that kind of attitude change creates a physical change in their performance
1: for sure always does and it sends like good messages to the team right like you want people pulling on the rope together. Like if you're actually going to win a championship, you need everybody going in the same direction. Like the best teams I ever coached always had people aligned. They had that team camaraderie. They actually cared about each other. Um, it is difficult. Like sometimes you can get away with just having a whole bunch of talent that does work every now and then. But if you're looking for sustainable victory, like you have to have that team spirit. Yeah, you have to have the chemistry.
0: And it's like that you ever hear that it was a poem. It starts today was the worst day and you read through it. And it says, now read this backwards. Yeah. Now, one of my favorite lines in that was the reality creates my attitude. Yep. But then when you read it back, it says my attitude creates the reality. Yeah. And so that mindset, if your mind creates the reality, well, you know, you can affect
1: a lot of things in you and your teammates, you know? For sure. It's it? it's always one of those hard things because you can't you can't quantify culture in these things you know it's not nothing like you know but there's you can, a big impact but
0: you, here. Like, you know character uh, you can you can sense character in yep. you know, but
1: you know. that's what like if you have good character individuals who care about the team like you build those cultures up
0: yeah yeah well Sam thank you for coming on this is a great conversation
1: yeah uh, absolutely
0: you and I could probably talk for another three or four hours. Oh, definitely. I think, I think, and I think we talked for a half hour before the show.
1: Yeah, we did.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, again, every time your minor leaguers do well, I always uh, congratulate you because uh, you and uh, there's a lot of other guys that work with you that help these guys. That these guys have a lot of talent. Uh, they work really hard. But there's also guys like you working really hard to help them. And uh I don't think a lot of people really realize, you know, how lucky they are to have guys like you helping
1: them. Man, I it's really a testament to our staff. Again, it goes in like they care so much about the play. And it goes, there's there's so many more people behind the scenes than even in our department helping us do these things for these guys. Yeah. Um it's exciting. And then the the players caring about each other, caring about the things that we're valuing and going after them. It's, it's one of the things that I think makes this group special, and I'm excited for the next few years.
0: Yeah. I mean, when when Desi came on board, you know, he's a friend of mine. Yeah. I was really excited for the Yankees. I still am. He's a great guy. And then when you came on, I was like, all right. Because when he came on, it was kind of still a bit of the old culture. And then when you came on, it started shifting. And uh, that change, you're still building, but uh, uh, I see the great things happening for the Yankees. So uh,
1: I appreciate Ryan, it. Thanks. All
0: right. Have a great day.
1: You too, Wayne.
0: Thanks. Pitching
1: Command Show, brought to you
0: by Command Tracker, the smart target that MLB and D1 teams rely upon to measure and train command. Many throw hard, but few command. Visit commandtracker.com.